Welcome to the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Burdock, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Thursday, September 7th. I hope everyone had a fun and safe Labor Day weekend. It was nice to chill before the fall work season has us all working long hours until the week of Thanksgiving. Now, here's something we may or may not be thankful for, and that's electronic health records. EHRs have electrified medical record keeping, but no one seems to like them. A new report is out that says three EHR vendors control more than 75% of the EHR market. We're going to talk about the market pros and cons of that dynamic on today's show with Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Merchantson, partner at Transformation Capital. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning? Dave? Well, Dave, when I took out the garbage this week, I felt that first hint of a chilling wind from the north. The NFL opens its season this weekend. Like they used to say on Game of Thrones, winter is coming. (laughs) That's great. Thanks, Dave. Julie, how are you? Well, when I haven't been on a plane or in front of a computer for work, I've been glued to the television for the U.S. Open. So I would just do anything for tennis right now. Ah, yeah. Thank you. Now, before we talk about the current and future EHR market, let's talk about your Labor Day holiday. Uh, Dave, you've mentioned the Wugams Parade several times on this show. Now, it sounded so silly that I was never 100% sure that it was real. You know, in journalism school, they tell you if your mother says she loves you, check it out. Then on Monday night, I'm watching the 10 o'clock news, and they actually had a short segment on the parade. <laughs> it did look silly, but it was real. You know, video never lies. So did you march in this year's Wiggums parade, or did you do something else? You know, Dave, I'm actually a little surprised you didn't ask me if my mother loved me. <laughs> <laughs> Next that's how, week. That's not how close the Wiggums parade is to my heart. But to tell you the truth, it was too hot this Labor Day. You might remember it was pushing, I think, into the 90s. So we didn't march. Instead, we sat on our porch and sipped mint juleps. It's like the Kentucky Derby. That's great. Thanks, Dave. Julie, what did you do this Labor Day weekend before the uh, fall work season is upon us? Well, we spent Labor Day in the fine state of Rhode Island. Haven't been on the East Coast for Labor Day in a long time, which was really nice. But it kept me up too late to watch the U.S. Open, which I did for hours. So nice, relaxing time. I'll say that. That's great. Uh, Rhode Island is a pretty cool state. I've been there a few times. Dave, you live there, right? At one point. Yeah, I mean, my comment on Rhode Island is it's too nice for the people who live there. It's such a corrupt little state, but it's actually gotten a lot better. It is beautiful. Well, we didn't go to Rhode Island. We went to the uh, Kane County Flea Market, which is real. You know, I'm a sucker for cheap junk. So we came home with a trunk full of stuff that will go right into my crawl space and then get thrown out by my kids when I die. So uh, good luck to them. (laughs) Fueling the man cave. That's right. Speaking of junk, let's talk EHR systems. They're not cheap, but many people think they're junk. Definitive Healthcare is out with a new report that calculated the market share of the top 10 EHR vendors in the U.S. Collectively, the 10 vendors control more than 97% of the market, but just three vendors control more than 75% of the market. The big three are Epic, 
at 39.5%, Cerner, which is owned by Oracle, at 23%, and Meditech at 13.1%. And that means just two vendors, Epic and Cerner, control more than 62% of the market. We're going to break this discussion down by current and future implications, though. Dave, give me two current market implications of three vendors controlling more than 75% of the market. And how do you see those market shares changing and why? Well, before we go into the current implications, I'd like to dig into these percentages a little bit relating specifically to your big three. I'm having trouble believing Epic is only 40% of the market. I really do wonder what that percentage would be if Definitive's analysis only examined the 100 largest health systems. So as far as I can tell, Cerner Oracle, which supposedly controls just a little over 20% of the market, only has Intermountain, Banner, and Adventist as clients. They lost their big BA contract. So I don't see them as a major player or they're a much smaller major player among the 100 largest health systems. And does Meditech have a client other than HCA? (laughs) That's of, of consequence. So when I look at it as it relates to the 100 largest health systems that that drive a lot of the provider-based behaviors in the country, that Epic is far more than 50% and very dominant. I mean, it is to the point when I go to industry forums and with that have large health system participants and we get onto this EHR, executives from these health systems that don't have Epic you know, from a place like Banner, are actually apologizing for the fact that they aren't on Epic. I honestly think down deep they're scared of Epic now and don't want to do anything unnecessarily controversial to get Epic on their wrong side. So you want to talk about market power, that's real market power. What I will say on the positive side, class grades the systems and the 2023 grades for the three systems. Epic got an A, Meditech got a B and Cerner got a gentleman's D plus. Yeah. So you can maybe see why Cerner is shrinking and Epic is growing. One cool feature that I just learned about regarding Epic comes from Corwell, the massive pay vider system in Michigan controls about 25% of the market. And they now have just one instance. So one installation of Epic across all of their hospitals, clinics, doctor's offices, ambulatory centers, and so on. And as I said, they have a very large insurance company priority. And when the electronic medical record pops up for one of the individuals for whom they have financial risk, a blue R comes on and that kicks in another set of additional protocols related to managing the care of that person somewhat differently. So I didn't realize that the EHRs had gotten to that level of sophistication. And that to me potentially could be a breakthrough. So before I start hammering on Epic, let's give credit where credit is due. That's a real breakthrough. But regarding your two current implications of Epic's market domination, I'm not even gonna include Cerner in this. My chart, which is the consumer interface that all the Epic EHR users use, I'll use a technical term here, it sucks. You know, it's only had 30 to 40, it's been around for over 10 years. It only has 30 to 40% uptake. It's very cumbersome, tends to be landing pages with a lot of links. I've just written about 
a horrible experience I had trying to reschedule an appointment through my chart made me want to pull what little hair I had left out. And, you know, Judy Faulkner, Epic CEO, is on record as saying they want to be the digital front door for their health system clients, essentially for the country. And I got to say, if that digital front door is going to be my chart, and if health systems are waiting for Epic to deliver them to digital nirvana, uh, where customers are delighted by the experience, they're going to be waiting a long time. Providence, you know, the big health system in your neck of the woods, Julie, had developed a fairly user-friendly overlay of my chart that it was using to interact or to have its customers interact with its EHR. And because of changes in the app orchard, you know, Epic's way of supposedly stimulating innovation, that's going to end up making this overlay, Providence overlay, obsolete. So, and that gets to my second point. So, and then secondly, because of the way they operate their app orchard and just operate generally, they, they stifle innovation. I personally know of three companies who had breakthrough technology where Epic used their market leverage to step in and limit their ability to come to market. I mean, it was truly anti-competitive behavior. You know, in the app orchard, if you want to participate in that, you know, like with Apple, you know, Epic has this way to, to build apps that can go into their into their EHR. They want the right to the to use the intellectual property at some point. I mean, talk about intellectual theft. So my conclusions for all of this are it's not a two-horse race or a three-horse race. It's a one-horse race, and Epic is far ahead. Wow. <laughs> Quite the critique. Thanks, Dave. Julie, any questions for Dave? Well, that is quite something. So, Dave, let's say that happens. Is there any regulatory action you think should be taken to address Epic's increasing market concentration? Like, productive. At a minimum, I think the FTC should come in and investigate some of the policies relating to the app orchard and maybe start exercising some penalties relating to Epic's seemingly intentional efforts to limit interoperability of health records. I would be looking at Epic as a monopoly provider and making sure that they're adhering to interoperability guidelines and truly making it easier for innovative companies to access basic patient data and not using their market leverage in any way to limit competition. Yeah, we definitely need a level playing field. Thanks, Dave. Julie, it's your turn. Give me two future market implications of three vendors controlling more than 75% of the EHR market. And what should we hope for or expect from future EHR systems? Well, before I answer your question, I, I look to other industries to try to build a bit of a thesis that would be different. So I want to some of the top consolidated industries. And even though I didn't find the perfect supporting information here, I wanted to share a couple of tidbits that I thought were funny. So I looked at the highest four firm concentration ratio. Do you know there was such a thing? In the US, and this is 2017 data. And aside from like space and armored car services and you know other things that were so obviously price gouging, I mean, selling into the government, there were definitely some important consumer services like did you know the passenger car rental has over 90% market concentration of the top four companies? Like, makes perfect sense, actually. We all know this, but we don't think about it. Of course, kidney dialysis made the list with almost 88%. 
and of course, couriers and express delivery, warehouse clubs and super centers, all over 88%. So it's kind of interesting when you do a little digging into other industries, but I digress. So for the future, you know, I mean, the issues are not that different, but I worry about price gouging and of course, worry about innovation. And, you know, price gouging really is about pricing for the broader market for all those that are not like sizable healthcare systems. So think community hospitals, critical access hospitals, ambulatory physician groups, and other offices, surgery centers, SNFs, uh, all sorts of organizations where that clinical data is actually important for treating patients in multiple venues. So first for critical access hospitals, it looks like, you know, smaller vendors and proprietary systems are still holding their own there. So, and I thought the good news actually was that ONC said that about 80% or so of critical access neural hospitals report using some sort of basic EHR. So assuming they can hold on and get to some sort of interoperability and competition stays in that market, I worry less and I worry less about Epic actually wanting to enter that market. Same as kind of true with inventory care practices. There's more competition in that market, certainly. Uh, but as the landscape of who owns those practices shifts, that's shifting rapidly. So we have to worry about that. And, you know, class did their own market share report earlier this year. Um, Dave, you were actually mentioning a little bit of this. And, you know, if you look at everybody else, hospitals, academic medical centers, children's hospitals, especially hospitals, we are certainly dealing with the issues that Dave talked about. Children's actually gained a lot of growth in smaller hospitals with double-digit growth, but losing a lot because of declining bed numbers. So Cern's really not gaining much ground. Uh, Meditech, as Dave said, is losing share. So it's really only Epic that's having positive change in the U.S. And Meditech and Cern seem to both be looking beyond our borders for their growth. So what I'm seeing happening on the oligopoly monopoly front is concerning. And what's happening on the innovation front as a result, as Dave said, is I think evolving. If you look at what Epic's doing, I applaud their marketing. I applaud the approach they're taking in many ways, but they are trying to now take their control and throw it over a broader number of companies but a very controlled number of companies that then really does block innovation in the long term. So Dave, I don't know if you read about their new partners and pals program, but you know, the partners, they're more well-established companies. So think like Nuance and Press Ganey, they were just in the news for having established real partnerships with Epic. And what's new about this is that Epic is actually doing real structured deals that aren't just like a marketplace deal where hundreds of companies can come in and interoperate with Epic to a certain extent with a certain amount of data. This is, you know, these are true deeper partnerships. And then there's the PALS program where much smaller companies like those that we might invest in are doing deals with Epic. So companies like Abridge and TalkDesk are two of the first to be Epic PALS. And this is, I think, a great way for Epic to really embrace innovators. And Epic says that both the partners and the pals are chosen based on the biggest challenges and obstacles that health systems are facing. But of course, they are hand-selecting who they work with. And while it's not 
neither of these are exclusive. They will not pick one per category. You know, they're not going to pick 20 per category. So that leads to the concerns about innovation in a major way. And we don't want the entire world to be directed by Epic. So we want an ecosystem that's creative and we want adoption of new ideas and scaling things that actually work to solve problems. And I think Epic partners and pals will solve some of that, but it shouldn't solve all of that. And we need to have a more open system and Epic has shown itself to want to be fairly closed in terms of the way in which it shares data and access to its system for others to be able to do things that hospitals like Providence want to do to achieve their business goals in their markets. So it's, it's concerning. There's no doubt. Yeah, it's a very GPO-like behavior. That's right. Either you're in or you're out. And if you're out, you have a much uh, steeper hill to climb. Thanks, Julie. Uh, Dave, any questions for Julie? Wondering whether we will ever have a complete and inoperable electronic health record for everyone in the United States, the way they do in France, and even here in the United States for veterans enrolled in the VA healthcare. Is that an impossible dream? You know, cue the orchestra to dream the impossible dream. Or is it achievable? I mean, it should be achievable. It's not technologically impossible. What do you think? The problem has never been technology. Like, we have standards up the wazoo. We have interoperability, you know, associations, groups, memberships, coalitions, collaboratives, you name it. And they're continuing to sprout up. I mean, Anish Chopra continues to be the greatest champion here. And there are new efforts every day. But until the business itself wants to give up information in order to get information to treat patients in a way that's most beneficial to its business model, it's never going to change. And I love getting back to Providence. This might be called the Providence episode. Aaron Martin and Sarah Vazy back in the day were talking about transaction readiness before anybody else was talking about transaction readiness in healthcare. Actually, I think, frankly, no one talks about it still. When you think about other industries that are transaction ready, when you charge that latte at Starbucks and your credit card charge hits, like Visa's ready for it, it takes it, it approves it, it's done, it's on your card, you're good. If you, I mean, that's not really transaction readiness, but part of it is when you think about just everything that we do in our everyday lives around payments, we can't do that today in any aspect of healthcare in a scalable way. Certainly it's happening in some places. So again, until we want to be able to do things fast, real time, logically, it's not going to happen. We just don't, you know, we don't have the central force forcing us in that direction. Thanks, Julie. Let's hope something can be done to break up this monopoly. Now, let's briefly talk about other news that happened this week. Uh, it wasn't all bad, was it? Julie, anything else worth a mention? Well, I'm still hearing GLP-1s, Wegovi, and Ozempic, all that chatter out there on an, literally an hourly basis these days. And there's a huge article this week on Calibrate, one of the companies that promised to make well, provided a service to make those drugs available that's running into massive issues because of the shortage of the drugs, because of the payment issues and a lot of health plans basically putting their foot down and saying, no, we're not going to pay for it. So we are getting to a crescendo on these issues. 
Yeah, yeah. Dave, what else should we know about? CMS came out this week with a new payment program, uh, or CMMI came out with a new payment program through CMS called States Advancing All-Payer Health Equity Approaches and Development, or States Advancing Ahead, or simply ahead. I don't know who picks these acronyms for the federal government, but I've been led to believe by my good friend Zeke Emanuel that the paper uh, or the article, two-part series that he, Merrill Guzner, and I wrote in Health Affairs about the Maryland system and its potential ap applicability to other states was influential in designing this new program, which will be, you know, pushing toward all-payer rates uh, within global budgets. Dave, you're the power behind the throne. Thanks, Dave, and thanks, Julie. That is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. And don't forget to tell a friend about the Foresight Health Roundup podcast. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.